If you're new or visiting, my name is Jerry. I'm the campus pastor here at our Carmel campus. And as you can tell, when we do family services, we like to have fun. And that, that is by design. We're going to have uh, some fun here today. Um, I think it's really cool as a church family when we get kids and adults in the room worshiping together. We get to see people baptized. Um, we've got across our two campuses, I think, 11 people that, are, that have made the decision to be baptized into Christ, which is really an exciting thing for us to celebrate as a church family for so many different reasons, and to see, to get to see grandparents and parents baptizing their children and the emotion behind that. That is just a small peek of what disciple making is supposed to look like. So all of those are very, very good things. Um, This summer, our next door neighbors did something really cool for their daughter's seventh birthday party. They hired a traveling petting zoo, okay? And they brought totes just like this. They had about 12 of these totes in their yard. And what they would do is one by one, they would open it up and they would pass around whatever animal it was. And it was a huge hit for kids and adults alike. And so uh, the first animal that they pulled out was a rabbit, right? Everybody seen a rabbit. It was really cute. And then there was a hedgehog, a prairie dog, a sugar glider, and an Arctic fox. If you've never seen an Arctic fox, really, really, really cool animal. But then they turned to the exotic animals. And this is where everybody got real excited. There was a legless lizard. You ever seen a legless lizard? It's like a snake with the face of a human, right? They are so gross. But then there was a tarantula and my daughter Kate got to handle the tarantula on her head because why not? You know, if you're gonna hold a tarantula, you want it crawling all over your body. So there were all these cool animals. There was a baby alligator that you got to, you didn't get to hold it, but you got to pet it. But there was one creature that stole the show. And before I tell you what it was, I want you to see my daughter and her friend in their face right before like the big reveal, like shock and awe. What could it possibly be? Well, it was this. It was a 13 foot Burmese python. It weighed about 200 pounds. It took two adults to get it out and three to put it back. Okay. And Here's the next picture. You can see everybody wanted to come and touch it and see it, right? Such a big hit. Now, it was such a big hit that I got permission this morning. I don't have a 13-foot Burmese python. I have a four-footer, and I'm learning how to handle it. So if you promise not to make any quick movements or sounds, I would gladly get this thing out, and you can come and pet it afterwards, okay? But no sudden movements. You getting a little nervous, Ava? Okay, I'm nervous too, because I've only done this like three times. Okay, so are you ready? Okay, here we go. Ready? You're supposed to grab the head first, I think. So there it is. Look at that. Look at that. All right. It's okay. I'm nervous too. If you know anything about me, this this is stretching it for me. I do not like snakes. I don't like anything about snakes. They have no value. I think they all deserve to be destroyed. In fact, look at the picture. You can see my head. I've got two rows of kids between me and that snake. If it got squirrely, I'm like, sorry, kids, it's you, not me. I'm out of here. Now, we have been reading and studying through the book of Acts this year as a church family. And today we're wrapping it up. We're in Acts chapter 28. And along the way, we've been reading and studying through the Apostle Paul's life. And here's what we've seen. As Paul has gone and shared his faith in Jesus, he's planted churches. But everywhere he goes, this poor guy faced so much trouble as he just did what Jesus told him to do. He's been arrested. He's been beaten. He's been threatened. He's endured several court appearances. Last week, he survived a shipwreck at sea for two weeks. And now today in Acts chapter 28, we learn that he gets to add fighting off venomous snakes to his list of things he was willing to do for Jesus. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 28. There's Bibles under the seats. If you need one, that's our gift to you. Uh, But we'll have all the verses that you need up here on the screen. 
Now, last week in Acts chapter 27, here's how it ends. The apostle Paul and 275 other men were trapped at sea for 14 days in brutal hurricane-like conditions. It was cold, it was wet, it was rainy. And the chapter ends with their boat after 14 days, their boat struck a sandbar and they had to swim or float a very far distance to shore. And Acts chapter 28 verse one picks up the rest of the story. Verse one says this, once safely on shore, we found out that we landed on an island called Malta. Now, Luke is the guy that is writing the book of Acts for us. He is one of Paul's traveling companions and helpers. And so he was in this. He, he's telling us what happened. And he tells us they landed on this little bitty island named Malta. And I want you to see how tiny Malta is, okay? Look at this map. It's so tiny. They're out there for two weeks. What are the chances that they hit this island right when they needed to? I think it's a picture of God's goodness and provision for Paul as he's making his way to Rome. But here's what's really cool. Malta, the, name, the, the word Malta means refuge. And they were gonna end up spending about three months with the islanders on Malta as their, as their refuge. But I want you to see what happens in verse two. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and it was cold. And so these islanders, I want you to think about how unique this would be. They see close to 300 men swimming to them in the middle of a hurricane. And they're like, we need to help these people. A lot of people would run in and like, we're gonna close the doors. We don't know what's going on. These people show unusual kindness. And what did they do? They built a fire. Now, why did they build a fire? because it was raining and it was cold. These guys were wet. And so they wanted to help them get warm and dry. And this is where the apostle Paul jumps right in. Look at the beginning of verse three. It says, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. Now, if we're just reading the story, you might just skip over that part. But I think this is a really important detail for us because before Paul started following Jesus, we know he was a powerful and influential leader. People did what he said. And after he followed Jesus, he was also a powerful and influential leader. He planted churches. I mean, he was the kind of guy that when he spoke, people listened. And so when he lands on this island, he doesn't just show up and start barking out orders. He doesn't use his people skills to smooth the local leaders. He gets busy doing the thing that needs to get done. He's like, oh, we're gonna build a fire. I'll go, build, I'll go get some firewood with you. And I think he's modeling for us what it looks like to follow Jesus. The longer we follow Jesus, we need to lean into using our lives to serve people around us to do whatever needs to be done, whether it's picking up firewood or anything else. And this seems like a really good time to stop and to thank so many of you that pick up the firewood around here at Genesis. You do the big things and you do the small things and you do them because you wanna keep the fire burning bright and hot for the kingdom of God. And so whether you serve with students or children, you know that that's not an inconvenient thing that you do because somebody asked you to do it. You do it because you understand the value of pouring into the next generation and, po and pointing them to Jesus. If you serve in the cafe or at a door, that's not an insignificant thing that you do. You know, you understand the value of biblical hospitality and welcoming people and helping to create a welcoming environment. Thank you. Uh, many of you, like me and my wife, you host a, a group in your home. And I can tell you a lot of times on Thursday nights, it's not convenient for us to open our home. But like us, you understand the value of creating biblical community around the word of God and helping people connect in that way. And so I just wanna say thank you. 
whether you work on the tech team or you use your voice or you play an instrument, no matter what you do, whenever we do these things to build up the church, we are keeping the fire bright and hot here at Genesis so people can come and experience God. And if you're looking for a place to serve, if you're not yet serving, we would love to talk with you about using your gifts and abilities to build up the, the, the body of Christ here at Genesis. Find me or one of our staff members afterwards because this is a really important thing that we do together. Now, Paul modeled this. He collected firewood and look at what happens next at the end of verse three. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and look at what it says. As he put it into the fire, a viper was driven out by the heat and it fastened itself onto his hand. Now it didn't just bite him, it fastened itself onto it. Can you imagine not just getting bit by a poisonous snake, but it's just hanging there. There it is. I think the world-renowned archaeologist, Dr. Indiana Jones, said it best when he said, snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? So he's, he's standing there with this, this thing hanging off of his hand. And I just here's a question. Have you ever had a season of life like this? Nothing, nothing is going right. The car won't start. The, your, the batteries in your fire, uh, your fire alarm at home are chirping, like waking you up in the middle of the night. You're ready for your pet's head to start falling off. Nothing is going according to plan. This is the season of life that Paul is in right now. He's got a snake hanging off of his hand. And look at what these friendly islanders do. Verse four, when the islanders saw the snake hanging off of his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. They thought he escaped from the, um, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. Poor Paul, what was he doing? He was collecting firewood. And these people are like, clearly you're a bad person. A snake bit you, you probably deserve to die. But I like Paul's response. He doesn't freak out. He just goes all Taylor Swift on them. He says, verse five, but Paul shook it off and he threw it into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Now, Paul models something really important. He destroyed the snake, okay? It's in the Bible. Just go do that. Destroy snakes. They're not good. There's nothing redeeming about them. Look at verse 16. The people expected him to swell up or to suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and they said, He's a God, right? I mean, how's that for human nature? You're a murderer. Well, maybe you're a God. We don't know. Now this already crazy story gets a little bit crazier, but here's what I want you to see. Because of his faith in Jesus, God is using Paul. He is protecting Paul no matter what comes up against him. Now, does this mean does this mean that as Christians, we are meant to go out and handle deadly snakes and we should not expect to, get, to be harmed if we're bitten? That is not what that means, okay? I promise you. Does this mean that anyone who follows Jesus will always survive a shipwreck or a storm? No, it does not mean that. As followers of Jesus, we're not immune to tragedy or suffering or disease, but we do serve a God who has the power to take the worst situation and to turn it around, or he can use it for his glory according to his will. And what we're seeing in the book of Acts, according to God's will, his will was for Paul to make his way all the way to the city of Rome so he could not just plead his case, but he wanted to share his faith, faith with Caesar, the most powerful man in the world. And even though all these people thought that Paul was a God, he doesn't allow that to go to his head. Instead, he's gonna take his next opportunity to turn people's hearts towards the one true God that he serves. Look at verses seven and eight. 
So there was an estate nearby that belonged to a man named Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Kids, if you don't know what dysentery is, ask your mom and dad. They'll explain it to you, okay? Paul went to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and he healed him. Now, there's no doubt that God uses Paul to perform a miracle here, but I want you to pay attention to what Paul does. What does he do? He prays. And why would he pray? He prayed because he wanted to make it clear to all the people that thought he was a God, I'm not a God, but I do know the one true God. I know the God that can do anything. He can make the impossible possible. And I want us to pause here for a second, and I just want to point this out. Guys, this... Paul is modeling something that you and I can and should practice all the time. I want you to imagine what could happen if we followed Paul's example and we started praying with and for everyday people, the everyday people in our lives over the everyday problems that they face. A while back, I started um, praying at the bus stop with one of our neighbors. I think we've been doing this for like a year and a half. I don't remember how it started. I just remember I felt like the Lord saying, do this. And so I was like, hey, Brad, do you, want, do you want to pray? And he's like, sure, we'll pray. And I think Brad believes in God, but I don't think he's following Jesus necessarily. And so every day for the last year and a half, it's been the same thing. Our girls get on the bus, the bus drives away. We walk across the street underneath the tree. And I say, hey, what do you want to pray for today? And there are days I get excited on the days where he's like, hey, I've got something for us to pray about. And we'll pray about it. If he doesn't have something, we just pray for the safety of our kids. Now, I wish I could tell you that I have seen God move mountains and miraculous things have happened. But more often than not, when I'm walking back to the house, I find myself praying for Brad and just saying, Lord, will you just use this opportunity to open up a door for us to talk about Jesus? Will you, will you move in his life in, in whatever way you, you need? Now, that's a, that's a really simple way to do that. And so I want to challenge all of us this week. I want you to imagine what could happen if three or four times this week, you would pray with somebody that you work with or somebody at school. If you really want to get a gold star, go for every day, praying with people. Now you could be praying with a coworker before or after a really stressful meeting. It could pray, you could pray with another student before a test. You could pray for a neighbor who is sick or has a sick relative. You could pray for a teammate leading up to a big game. But when we pray with everyday people in everyday ways, we're modeling a few basic things. We are showing people what a personal relationship with Jesus looks like. We're verbalizing that. Secondly, we're admitting, look, I don't, I don't have control over this outcome. And then finally, the two of you get to wait to see what God is gonna do together. And you might be thinking, but what if, what if you're praying for something like really big and God doesn't come through? Whose responsibility is that? It's his responsibility. It's not yours. God has called us to love people and a great way to love people is to pray with and for them. And then we just trust that God can do whatever he he wants to do. And I realize that might freak you out, but that's okay. This is a great way to verbalize our faith. And some of you are like, but HR won't let me do this. I bet the Holy Spirit's greater than HR. I bet if you were to pray and look for opportunities, I bet God's gonna open some doors. And there's lots of different ways you can pray. You can text them. A prayer. You can take a moment. You can email them a prayer, okay? You can leave them a voicemail prayer. You can pray with them out loud. Or one of my new favorites is leaving a voice note prayer. Now, my friend Ryan did this for my son, Braun, this week. Braun has had a really rough week and, Brian, and Ryan recorded a prayer 
And we huddled up around my phone and we listened to it together. And my son's spirits were lifted and it's saved on my phone. So I want you to imagine you can put any one of these in play. And guess what? They all count. It's not like God's like, yeah, that's a text prayer. We don't really listen to those, but all these other ones. You can pray in so many different ways. Paul used prayer to unleash the power of God on the island of Malta. And look at what happened. Verse nine. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and they were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to set sail, they furnished us with all the supplies we needed. So Paul uses prayer to heal people and God honors his prayer by moving in the hearts of the islanders to provide everything they were gonna need for the next leg of their journey. And I want you to see where they went. They, they traveled from Malta and they travel all the way up to Rome. It was a really long journey across the sea, up the land, several hundred miles. But something, if you keep reading, you're gonna get a bunch of cities. But in verse 13, something unexpected and good finally happens for Paul. Look at the end of verse 13. On the following day, we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. Now, brothers and sisters, this is not Paul's extended family. These aren't long lost cousins. Brothers and sisters means brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's why that is a really cool detail for us to be aware of. In all of Paul's ministry, as far as we know, he went all throughout the Roman Empire, but he was never able to make his way near Rome. But a couple of years before, he had written a letter to the church in Rome. And so how this would work is he would write it, they would read it, and then they would circulate it to all these other churches. And now Paul is meeting brothers and sisters that live near Rome that had heard of him. And they were welcoming, welcoming him in. Look at verses 14 and 15. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far away as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. I read one, one account that says this would be a 50 mile journey one way just for them to walk to meet Paul and greet him as they walk back into Rome together. Now, think of how this made Paul feel. Look at what it says. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Now, Jesus commanded his disciples to go into the world and to make disciples everywhere they went. In the moment that Paul started following Jesus, he devoted the rest of his life to doing just that. He planted churches and he shared his faith, but he was always making disciples. And now as a prisoner, while he's traveling to Rome, the place that he has wanted to go, that no one else has wanted him to go, in his goodness and in his faithfulness, God sends out people that had never met Paul personally but had been personally impacted by his ministry to encourage him as he approached Rome. And I love this verse, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Now here at Genesis, we wanna follow Jesus's command. We wanna follow Paul's pattern of making disciples in our everyday life. And sometimes it's tricky for us to know what that looks like. We get a glimpse of it here in Acts 28, a life devoted to, to making disciples it means you get to see the fruit of your ministry. But I want you to think of disciple making in terms of planting a fruit tree because every fruit tree starts with one little seed. And I want you to think of all the potential that is in a seed for life and reproduction. Now our lives are just like those seeds. When we plant our faith in Jesus, our faith comes alive. It buds up out of the ground. It, it puts roots down into the soil and it builds a foundation based on Jesus. And as we grow in our faith, we can produce fruit. Now I want you to think about it. When you plant a tree, you don't plant a seed to get a tree to get one apple one time. 
you plant a seed that will produce a tree that will produce fruit that produces lots of seeds in season and out of season. This is how the kingdom of God works. This is what disciple making is meant to look like. We put our faith into action by making disciples everywhere we go. And just like Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through faith in Jesus, he does the work. We can have this kind of reproduction in our life. Now, I wanna jump to the very end of Acts chapter 28 because I want you to see, it kind of comes to an abrupt ending and it's like, is that, that's really all that there is after all of this study of Paul's life. Chapter 30, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So we learn that Paul is renting a house but we also, it's not in the text, but we know this. He was, he was on house arrest. He was literally chained to a Roman guard all the time. And those guards would change every six, eight hours. He was always chained to someone else, but it didn't even slow him down. It didn't, it didn't stop what he was doing. While Paul was on house arrest in Rome, he wrote the New Testament letters of Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Not only that, but he would minister to the needs of these soldiers. In one of his writings, and I think it's in Philippians, he says, you've heard that I've been put in chains, but I want you to know these chains are advancing the gospel because people throughout Caesar's own house are coming to faith. He's sharing his faith and his faith is beginning to spread, which is pretty cool. His circumstances changed, but his outlook on life didn't change. He just kept going. Now, I don't know about you. I have loved studying the book of Acts, and Paul's life. I have, it has a whole new perspective for me. I've enjoyed reading his letters to see how he ministers to the churches. But I think it should cause us to back up a little bit and ask some really important questions as we come to the end of this amazing book. The first question is, well, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? Now, maybe on a personal study, you could start to read some of Paul's writings. But here's a question. How do you apply this to your life? How do I apply what I have learned? Well, Paul gives us an answer in one of the letters that he wrote to the church in Corinth. <clears throat> First Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul said this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Some translations say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul says, if you don't know what else to do, you've seen my life. You can read my writings. Just do what I'm doing because I'm doing my best to pursue Jesus in my life. But that can be a little intimidating because when it comes to following Jesus, Paul's like the goat. I mean, who is like Paul in living this out? My wife shared this meme with me and I think it kind of sums it up, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Jesus is like, Spider-Man. He does no wrong. And then you've got Miles Morales, who is trying his best just to look like Spider-Man, to convince himself he can be Spider-Man. And then there's us with some kind of bag over our head. We're like, I don't even know. What am I doing here? How do I do this, right? Now, it might feel like this, but that's not the way it works. Because as we follow Jesus, as we study his word, as we ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance, we can follow Paul's example. We can follow the Holy Spirit's guidance and we can share our lives and teach other people how to follow Jesus. This is why the community of our church is so important. This is why groups are so important. We, we help each other on this journey so we can teach other people to follow us as we follow Jesus. That's been the pattern in the church for the last 2000 years. And even though the book of Acts ends really abruptly, 
It doesn't tell us when Paul died. It doesn't tell us much of what happens next. Here's why I think that matters. The book of Acts isn't about Paul. Paul just plays a small part in it. The book of Acts is what the Holy Spirit is and has and continues to do through normal believers like me and you as we live out our faith in Jesus regularly. And so as we end, I wanna take a moment and I wanna give you a moment to pray where you are. And I want you to ask God, would you show me what my role is in living out the book of Acts right now? Who are the people that you want to use me to reach? Or maybe you're not following him right now. And your question is gonna be, how do I begin? The answer will be, surrender to Jesus. Begin following Jesus. But I wanna give you some, a moment, two or three minutes in your seats to pray. And if you don't know what else to pray, you can pray the everyday prayer. We, we introduced this back in January, really simple prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for saving me. I want you to do for others what you've done for me. Use me today to help. And then you fill in the blank. Help them to know you. So I'm gonna give you a moment. You can bow your head. You can close your eyes. You can pray out loud if you want to, but take a moment and pray and ask him how he wants you to continue to live out the book of Acts in your life right now. Father, thank you uh, for this incredible book or letter of Acts. Thank you for the way that we get to see Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit fulfilled. Thank you for the way we get to see how a lot of nameless followers of Jesus lived on mission for you. And 2,000 years later, we, we get to see the fruit of their labor as the, the gospel message has moved just as you promised Jesus to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it continues to advance. So thank you that we have a blueprint to follow. We're thankful that it's in the power that you provide, not that we provide, not that we bring to the table. Would you help us to walk faithfully with you? Would you help us to take our relationship with you seriously? Would you help us to remember we are righteous because what you have done for us, but you filled us with your Holy Spirit to go to live sent lives, lives on mission for the people around us. Would you break our heart for the people in our lives that don't know you? Would you help us to be bold this weekend to pray with and for people in a text message, in a voice note, on a voicemail, in person, out loud? Would you help us to leverage the gift of prayer to introduce people into a relationship of Jesus? We're thankful for the people that were baptized today. We pray for so many more. Jesus, we wanna be found faithful on the day that you return. So would you help us to live out what we see play out in the book of Acts? 
and let it all be for your glory. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.